home, I feel like, to a certain degree, it's healthy to strive to have balance. I know there's this idea that gets thrown around in personal development of it's, it's good to have people that are above you to learn from, people that are next to you to connect with, and people that are below you so that you can teach. And like I know that would all have different effects on our confidence. If we're only spending time with people that are way further ahead, even though there's some quotes, it's like, if you're the dumbest person in the room, that's, that's a positive. But if you're in the dumbest person in the room, in every room, always, you'd probably feel shit about yourself. And if you were the best person in the room, like the smartest person or the most skilled, then you're not growing. Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. I'm an amazing father, husband, son, friend, leader, and lover, and master coach. And I spend every minute of the day helping people live kick-ass lives. Today, you are going to be speaking. Speaking, not going to be speaking, you're going to be listening to myself and my good friend Ryan Magic having a conversation about what it means to be a man, what it means to be afraid of men, how to get over that and embrace brotherhood. We're going to be talking about status. We're going to be talking about what else are we talking about? archetypes, immature and mature masculine archetypes, basically a good old-fashioned chinwag on what it means to be a man. So if you're a man, you'll really enjoy this. And if you're a woman married to a man, you will really enjoy this. And if you're a man married to a man, you'll really enjoy this as well. All right. Ryan Magic is a peak performance coach for heart-led entrepreneurs. And after breaking free of severe anxiety as a teenager, Ryan learned to embrace courage and develop confidence to make his first six figures in business by 19 years of age, his first second seven figures by 22, and his first eight figures by 26. He now adventures a world aligning, unlocking, and unleashing beautiful humans to their wildest dreams. And you can currently find him doing that in Austin, Texas, where he is has found himself with a very empowering brotherhood. And that is what, you know, what we're talking about today. So without further ado, I'm going to shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of Ryan Magic and uh, myself talking about men. Ryan Magic, can I just say, like, your beautiful manicured hair and beard and the colour just fits perfectly with the furniture in the room. <laughs> this I can't take credit. <clears throat> this is my mate Craig's place. It does. It, it looks, it. looks amazing. How are you finding Thank Austin, you. brother? I've been here for like 10 weeks now and it's like the best place I've ever visited. Maybe not, not 10 weeks, maybe like eight weeks. It's like the best. Like I would love to live here. I've, I'm sorting out like a visa and stuff. So I've actually got to leave in two weeks and, and uh -huh. be in Costa Rica for a bit. But this is, this place is amazing. And like I landed here because I asked myself blank canvas yeah. if I could be anywhere in the world. Like where would I feel most called to be because of the people? But yeah. the actual place is really nice too. Like the, the nature is really beautiful. The population is not too massive for the size of the city. So it kind of mm. feels a little bit more relaxed. It's not too crazy busy. It's easy to get around the city and it's a beautiful place. Yeah. Now, when you I said you, you went to Austin for the people, there was an element of it as well was like you went to Austin for the men, right? Like not just the people, but there was a part of it that was like, I want to be with chicks. other men. Just mainly the chicks. <laughs> it's just a chick. <laughs> yeah, there Fuck was really the men, conscious women chicks. here. <laughs> I literally came here just for the men, like just yeah. to be around conscious uh, masculine community. And 
that was based on what I'd seen online and mm. knew that Garen Jones was here and Stephanos and Preston were here. And I, I saw some of the videos of the empowered brotherhood that they created and the movement mm. that was being created of conscious men that I perceived to be integrated as well based on the mm. leadership that they were also into ambition. They weren't just like more what someone might label as like a flow boy where they're like more hippie and they're disconnected from the world and they're not relevant or pursuing their vocation. So I really like the balance between this like beautiful open heartedness and connection to spirit while also having ambition and, and desiring to make a difference in the world and in their own way. And, and that's what it's turned out to be like mm. a lot of integrated men. Well, let's touch about, I mean, that's why I wanted to get you on actually. Cause um, yeah, when I was, when I was drinking, right. So over 10 years ago, the thought of me traveling to the other side of the world to connect with other men, there was, first of all, there was a story there that was like, I don't know, the story wouldn't let me to even consider it. It would, you know, like I would, I would be telling myself stories that uh, there was something wrong with me, like that, uh, that it is wrong to make friends with men that you need, you needed to like be with women, not with men. Right. And I think what you, what you've done is tremendously brave. Do you know what I mean? But let's, let's just talk about that, uh, that whole mindset that's mine. I mean, we can explore that a little bit later on. But what's your history with with men, quote unquote, men and having male friends, and uh, how how does that stack up for you? Yeah, well, I grew up in a household where I was a lot closer. I would say I was enmeshed with my mom. She was like my safety net because she played the polarity of the the role that my dad played, being like a really aggressive, direct, and like controlling figure and it was very confronting for me as a child because I was quite mm. sensitive and my mum nurtured me a lot and, and made me feel very safe. I felt very unsafe around my dad. He wasn't a very good role model in the way that he was playing his own life out. And so I was just naturally felt safer around the feminine energy growing up. But I played a lot of sport. I think that was one thing I was lucky to get exposure to other guys and I, I felt what it felt like to have camaraderie so that was like mm. a, a positive and but I stopped playing team sport when I was 13 when my mom left my dad it's like I've got a bit of an abandonment wound there because I didn't see her for a solid four-year chunk mm. and so my mom left I was with my dad I felt so anxious in who I was that I pulled myself out of any team sports because I just didn't I, I didn't have the confidence to be able to even be in the the proximity to other men just being teenagers throwing around comp like uh hanging crap on each other and just banter just boys mm. banter mm. for me that felt really really confronting and, and terrifying <clears throat> and i just kind of like steered away from it for my entire life up until this point because i just felt super unsafe around other guys that were just like hanging shit on each other and and that kind of boys boy culture it yeah felt very overwhelming very like very confronting for me so was, that was kind was of like the, my, my past was it a part of it um i remember once uh, a friend of mine coming out to me in was in vegas and he came out to me and i was like wow i didn't see that coming like we were like really good friends for like many years and he just came, he came out and i was like wow i i didn't know it. who knows and he's like well you're the only person that i told right and i was like fuck like how long have you known he's like all my life and i i remember saying to him that must be like so difficult having to like lie and, and, and hold that, that energy and to be someone that you're not. And when it comes to 
the same thing that you're talking about now about you know the guy culture the boy culture the teenage culture because it like what i found for myself is like even though i got to like 40 i was still a boy i was still in that boy energy was it a part of you that whilst you didn't like it was it a part of you where you had to almost fake it as well like my friend did with like his 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 old sexuality was it a part of you that had to fake it and kind of be like I don't really like this, but I have no choice but to present a confidence about me while I'm around these people. Yet inside, that confidence doesn't exist. Did that happen for you? I try, like I tried my best to do that. Some of mm. it I could, like I could hold a mask on for a certain capacity, but there were some things that were just so overwhelming that I'd have to like, like I was feeling so afraid inside that I, I would have to just remove myself from the environment. Or I'd say it's in like the locker rooms after a football match and getting a bit intense instead of going out and spending time with these guys to just go home because I was like feeling super overwhelmed. So I could try to like play with the banter a little bit. I was just so anxious inside that I couldn't, I couldn't hold a straight face. Right. Like I, it was just super, I was just super, super sensitive. And so, yeah, I, I can totally relate to what you're saying. And when I first came to Austin and I went and, and did this, this men's workout, the brotherhood workout, there were heaps of guys we you get put in groups often and and partnered off and i was with this dude and i was sensing a little bit of that boys boy culture and i was like hmm, interesting like I, I don't feel as safe with this person but i'm going to keep being my authentic self so i'm going to keep mm. encouraging when there's jokes thrown around i'm going to be vulnerable i'm going to be encouraging i'm going to be myself in my own authenticity with whatever felt authentic and then three quarters of the way through the workout I was like, we were doing this activity as partners where we're doing sit-ups and then we're like high-fiving at the top. And I was like, how about every time we get to the top, we say like a goal that we want to accomplish to motivate us, ourselves because mm. that was something that felt really expansive for me. In the past, I'd be like, oh, he might think it's lame or something like this. So I'm not going to do it. But I did it anyway. And I was like, I want to be my authentic self around other men. You know, I want to bring vulnerability. And then like I was saying these things and the guy just like had this massive turning point and he's just like, he went from having this strong mask on playing the boy's boy kind of banter to just completely like opening himself up, opening his heart up. And he's like, man, that's exactly why I've been here and I've been holding a mask. So thank you so much for bringing that into this space. And he like, he gave me a hug, like a 30 to 45 second hug probably in between the activities. and. Yeah, it was a really beautiful moment for me to go, oh, even though he's holding up the mask, I, I would usually see that as a threat. Okay, yeah. this person's a threat <laughs> to me. They perceive me to be like uh, low, but he was actually perceiving me to be courageous. He was looking up to me. I thought he was looking down on me. And, and it was a beautiful moment of seeing how authenticity can inspire someone else to connect, connect more with their heart. And it was actually led to a beautiful moment. Hmm. Sounds it. Yeah. Sounds very vulnerable. I mean, when was the moment that you started that? So that, that is a beautiful part of your journey, but when was the moment when you were like, well, like when's the moment when you know you're wearing a mask, you know, like, cause um, I think about my own journey and yeah, it's what, what for me, it wasn't until really recently that I was like, holy shit, like I have a problem with men, but, but all the way throughout, I, I look back and I was like, shit, I always had a problem, but didn't know I had a problem because I always had this really strong mask on. So, so fixed that when I looked in the mirror, it felt and looked 
like me. Do you know what I mean? Mm, like, yeah. what, what, what point did you look in the mirror and go like, particularly around the men, the men's side of things and go, hang on, th- this is not the way that I want to be behave around men. And I need to do something about it. Was it, was there a, an epiphany moment? I think for me, it was the symptom of realizing that I had the mask. Cause you mentioned that you didn't even like it had become your identity so much so that you weren't even aware, like this is just who you were. And it was just mm. like, repetitious behavior that had become that identity and for me my kind of like sign that I was wearing a mask was more that I was just avoiding men so if I looked at my like Mm. if I go four months ago or five months ago when I had my birthday in Australia before I came to the states I had this like intimate gathering where we did like a ceremony and it was like this beautiful more like uh, intimate intimate setting and there were 12 people there and there were three guys and nine women. And I looked at that and I was just like, I just know intuitively that it's a problem. I just know. And I just, from little pieces I picked up from listening to other thought leaders and and masculine coaches and stuff as well, but also my own intuitive sense of like, why is there so many women here? Because it's not like, from my perspective, it's not fully clean energy. Even though I'm someone that holds myself with a lot of integrity, I'm not the sort of person that like cheats or anything like that, it still didn't feel as clean. Mm. And I knew from like a tribal aspect and a tribal culture, how there's like men and women coexist. And then there's also activities that men do together and women do together. And I just became aware at that moment before coming here, okay, there's a clear, it's clear just reflected in my physical reality that I'm spending way more time with women than I am with men. And I felt a sense of, because relationships such a high value of mine, if I want to be a healthy man, I'm going to have to heal this wound and I'm going to have to spend more time around men and less time around women. It's just mm. a felt like a, a right time to lean into that. And if I want to call in my queen, so to speak, and I want to have the relationship that I, that I desire, then I'm going to have to, I just felt I'm going to have to w- lean into this and I'm going to have to spend less time and say no to catching up with some of the female friends that I had and just like kind of triage the ones who were really valuable and just spend less time around them and spend more time with men. And that's why I came here. And, and it's been, yeah, it really has made a massive difference. Even in the new relationship that I'm in, I noticed that if I catch up with um, my partner after I've been to a men's workout, the polarity is completely different. The level of like wholeness and safety I feel within myself, knowing that I have all these men that love and support me for who I am, and then carrying that feeling of confidence into the dating container and into the relationship container, it's it's a different feeling. Hmm. And it's something that I can feel with the contrast of if there's a few days where I haven't caught up in, in like an environment of men, like been to a men's circle or been to like some kind of like men's event or hung out with a few guys going out for dinner with a few male friends i can feel the difference in my energy it's almost like i and maybe this is just a reflection of my ability to hold my authentic self and my masculinity it's just my stage of development but i feel a little bit more like i become more feminine mm. like and i i become i affect I, i'm affected by my partner and i'm kind of like leaning more into her preferences a little bit more and feeling a little bit more sensitive i'm feeling a little bit less confident and then I recharge myself hanging around with the men and then go back in and I just feel a little bit more whole in that container. So mm. I can feel the difference. Was there a resistance towards once you realized that you've got the mask, you know, other than you're like, okay, I'm, I'm spending way too much time with women. I can see this quite clearly now. 
And then, you know, there's that little conversation inspired probably by thought leaders and uh, content you're consuming around people who have really got their shit together. And you're like, okay, I really need to spend time with more men. Was there a resistance? And if so, how did you get through it? The, the main resistance that came up was in like before catching up with the guys or initially when I'd go to a gathering or like this mm-hmm. workout or a men's circle or a full day men's event. And I would be on my way there or waking up in the morning and the the masks that you speak of, my kind of masks that I wear is like my success is my value. So I'm going to try to seem more successful, seem like a, a more alpha male and I'm going to put these masks on and I have to be different than who I am or will these guys accept me for who I am? How can I look better so that I'm liked, so they like me? And what if mm-hmm. what if I'm not valuable enough for them to want to mm-hmm. spend time with me? And so as the anxiety was coming up beforehand, and the more I've exposed myself in these community of men, the more I've realized that the substance that makes up the connection has nothing to do with any of the external factors. It's just literally the fact that we're human beings, mm. both of the same gender, can relate to the same energetics and want to be around each other. And that's enough. And that's been very healing. I like that. I mean, a lot of people say that I spend too much time in my head and not, a, not enough time in my body, right? And um, that's true. But there was one thing that I, that, you know, taking the positives out of the head stuff, what I did for uh, two weeks, it changed my life, was keeping a real strict Excel spreadsheet log of yeah. what am I going to do today, like task by task, what am I going to do? How, what is my perception of enjoyment going to be from this task out of 10? And it was like, I don't know, I've mentioned this before on here. Like I'm going to watch the walking dead tonight. Right. Which was like my treat. Right. So it's like nine out of 10. And then it was like, what was the reality? And it was, well, this is like two out of 10. Like, how can that be possible? Right. Walking dead, you've got to go. And then it's like going to spend time in Ryan. What's my perceived enjoyment value? Actually, it's low. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling nervous about being with Ryan. A lot of stuff coming up for me. Then, so it's a five. What was the actual uh, experience like? It was a fucking 10 out of 10. And if you hit enough of those using just my, my, my rational logic, then that allows me to kind of slip into my body and be like, you've got this all wrong. So there's a part of you that is scared and there's a part of you that is nervous about the perception. But the reality is showing you that it's very different. How can yeah. we can how can we play with that and almost like like Susan Jeffers used to say feel the fear do it anyway because you actually know at the other side of it it's the likelihood it's going to be a beautiful experience does that speak to you in any way at all yeah and I think it's that evidence that evidence over time of feeling safe with the immersion and the exposure mm. other men and I would just encourage anyone that's listening, if they are a guy or they're, they're a woman that has a, a partner that they're trying to encourage to go to something like this, just to, to know that it might take a few times to come out of your shell more and to, to yeah. convince your nervous system mm. that, hey, it actually is safe. Because yeah. I, I, I opened up very quickly in the, in the circle because I knew a few people already and I kind of felt safe. Maybe I felt like a four out of 10 safe when I went there for the first time. And a seven out of ten save mm. the second time, then maybe like an eight, nine, ten. And then like since then it's been like eight, nine, or ten every time in terms of safety. So I feel like I opened up really quickly. But I've also done a lot of socializing and I'm also quite extroverted. So I feel I've seen other people come on their first time and not come back. Yeah. And I could 
And so I would just really encourage people to give themselves like enough exposure for their nervous systems to climatize to that new environment. Don't give up. Yeah, don't give up. I mean, a good example, actually, this on Sunday, I took Zia, me and Liza took Zia to a girl's four-year-old birthday party in the park. And it was uh, Zia was the only kid invited who was no longer in the school she used to be in. So this this girl, Ellie, was having a party. Mm. They were all from a school called Imagine, and Zia now goes to St. George's. And we went there, and Zia just held on to me. And I'm like, you okay? And I, straight away, I know she's, like, she, she's feeling uncomfortable around, in, you know, playing around with the other kids. She went and sat on her own, and I sat next to her, and I said, hey, how are you feeling? And she said, I'm feeling really shy, Dad. Mm. Right? I'm feeling really shy. And I was like, well, that's okay. You know, that's okay. You know, you spend your time there. Do you want daddy with you? She's like, yeah. Do you want to talk about? She said, no. And I was just there for her. And then at some point in time, it was like, okay, we need to make a a decision about what we want to do. And both angles are, are okay. We can sit here together and we can just be on the periphery of things. And that's cool. That's okay. Or we can take a leap and we can just go and ask someone if they want to play with us and see what they say. What do you want to do? And she was like, for the longest time, I just want to sit here. And then eventually she got up and she asked somebody and then she started to play. So think about that, right? That, that, that is going to be every kid in the world, right? Mm. To, to a certain degree, take them out of their comfort zone. And that's what we're talking about in a way. It's like, even though, you know, I was going to say, if I'm a 46-year-old man. You're a lot younger than me. But if you're a 46-year-old man or a 32, 33-year-old man, you still are that little kid sometimes in that park being like, I don't want to do it. You know what I mean? That's what we're talking totally. about, right? Yeah, mm. I totally relate. Even though I'm 29 and you're 46, we still have inner children within us. Ah, see how you said 29 after I put like three years on you. You got yourself, you pulled yourself back into the 20s. I did you it. did you say you thought I was it? No, no, I said, I said, I just threw 32 out there as a random guess. I didn't even hear you say that. I didn't even hear you say (laughs) I put three years on you. We look the same age. You can take that as a goal. Oh, thank you. Um, (laughs) Okay, so I want to talk about something connected to that around status, right? Have you read this book by Jack Donovan? No. This guy triggers the fuck out of me, right? (laughs) I was watching. Like you follow him online? No, no, not really. I. Stephanos, so for people who don't know, there's a great thought leader and coach called Stephanos Safandos, who both myself and Ryan have been really fortunate to work under, and Ryan is now making him his friend in Austin. And I heard him talk about I heard him talk about this book, you know, and um, what Jack Donovan talks about in the way of men, it, the book triggered me, but uh, you know, in in certain ways. But what he talks about in the book is. Um, the whole premise of being a man is when they're interacting with other men, there's a thing going on where every single man wants to be better, more dominant, more stronger, more honorable, more courageous than the other man. There's like this invisible status hierarchy, right, going on within men. Mm. Okay. So how does that speak to you? Like, you know, like I've got my own story to share as well, but I'm interested in, in yours. When you're in Austin or before you was in Austin, were you aware of this status hierarchy and how did you deal with it? Because I have a client I was working with on the weekend in Australia. We were talking about this very thing. Like he does martial arts. 
and he feels like he's towards the top of the rung of the alpha male ladder. But then when he goes out socially with him, he feels like he's more in the middle of the pack. And we were talking about how important it feels to be more towards the top. Like that there is an innate within him desire to be recognized as more of the alpha. And we were talking about, well, why is that? Um, so do you want to talk about that a little bit and how that impinges your life? Yeah. I'll talk about my experience and I'll talk about my opinion because I've mm. got like a theoretical, theoretical intellectual kind of it. like piece. I of, love it. But, but my experience in my body is that I desire to have more status. It's like an innate feeling. And I notice the competitiveness come out when I'm working out around other guys. Mm. And I perceived that at one stage in my life, even probably six months ago as like a judge, something I would judge. Like that's my ego. And that's a negative. It's a bad thing. But from my kind of like study on the work that I do, because I help people out around courage and overcoming fear. And I, I kind of understand the nervous system and the amygdala and the hippocampus and how these different parts of our brain center, our reptilian brain have primitive desires for tribe connection, base connection, and all these social connection points for safety. So it's like my perception is that status is something that we are wired to look up to and strive to have. I don't know if it's men and women, or like I'm sure it's women as well to a certain degree. Mm. I definitely know it's it's true in men because we're safer. If I'm yeah. higher status in the tribe, so to speak, if we go 10,000 years ago and we're living in 30 to 50 people tribes, I'm closer to the top. I've got less chance of being exiled, knowing that exile leads to certain death as an individual yeah. homo sapien in the wild because we are tribal creatures that need the skills and the resources and protection of the full collective tribe to, to stay alive. And so I see tri like status as something that's like a healthy aspect. That's And this is what Jordan Peterson, I've heard him talk about it a lot. Jordan mm. Peterson, yeah, he yeah. talks about it with um with lobsters. Yeah, yeah, I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. How they they fight, and like if two male lobsters fight and one of them loses, all the endorphins in their mind, their brain literally like mushes, and actually starts to mold into a less confident brain. Mm. He thinks that he's weaker. He fights less. He goes for lower quality women in the lobster hierarchy. In the lobster world. In the lobster world, and actually has more depression, like feels mm. lower about himself. And mm. I kind of like remember feeling a little bit triggered when I listened to that as well, because at that stage I was going through this more, I'm going to say hippie, but like love, equality, just like all love, everyone's equal kind of thing. Mm. And and I was also demonizing some of my innate desires for money, status, living a materially big life. So, yeah, I, I can feel it in my body, the competitiveness. I believe it's innate and I believe if it's done with awareness and, and it's not causing harm to others, that it can be really healthy. Yeah, he, that, that's the kind of thing that he talks about. That, that actually aspect of the tribal, the almost like anthropological innate yeah. um, desire to be the alpha male, that's not what triggered me in the book. Like I, I read that part and I was like, yeah, I get that. So like his philosophy is if the zombie apocalypse hit today, and th this is a slightly part, uh, the, the way that he talks about women in there is a little bit triggering for me, but like, it's like, what you can be, <sighs> this is language. This is polarized language around for me, for me, he's a little bit too far right sexist kind of guy. 
But I just get that out of reading a book. No doubt if I sit down with him, I would get to understand him more. I've invited him on the podcast, actually. And the You've only seen his I- Instagram. He, d- he looks like he's, he looks like he's the sort of guy that you'd probably get the exact same understanding. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you get if you chatted to him. But I invited him on the podcast. And the reason I invited him on the podcast is I was terrified to get into a conversation with him over why I'm triggered, because that to me is really vulnerable. Like it, it's really vulnerable for me to have a conversation with somebody. Uh, how, yeah, let me put this in a different way. So someone wrote me, someone, I, I reached out to someone the other day who followed me on Instagram and said, thank you very much for following me. And then they wrote me, a, they, and I said, why, why are you following me? And then they wrote this massive essay on um, what, they really, what they really got out of a podcast, you know, and wanted further dialogue with me. And as I was reading it, there was a part of me that's like, I have no fucking idea what this guy's on about. Like intellectually, he's fucking, he's on a different planet to me, right? And then a part of me kicked in in that status hierarchy, which is, which was like, oh, this is not good, right? And then because I've been doing the work, I was able to go, okay, I get it. You're feeling a little bit inferior here. And then myself was able to say, I don't got a fucking clue what, you, what you're on about. You need to dumb it down for me and be okay with that, right? Yeah. So, so there's a part of Jack Donovan that is, if I said to Jack, like you really triggered me because of X, Y, Z on the podcast, worrying about how that would affect my status if he ran rings around me on the podcast. So it's a status mm. thing. So the way that I deal with that is, again, it's through experience of knowing, well, actually, most human beings, when they're face to face, are very, very different than like social media in a car with road rage. So mm. there's a part of me like, no, 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 he's pro- probably going to be a really nice, respectful guy and he's going to be sensible and we'll be able to navigate it and it'll be okay. But I'm terrified, so I'm going to do it. So that's, that's really courageous. That's but, really courageous. But so he's like, if the zombie apocalypse happens, uh-huh. it doesn't matter how much work the women's revolution has done. Men won't give a fuck. They'll just flock to big, strong ass men who either can hold an Uzi nine millimeter, can fight with a fucking, with their bare hands. He said, men will be secure with men. They won't feel secure with women, right? So that's why he calls the book The Way of the Men. He's almost like gang mentality. And I looked at that and I was like, holy shit, do you know what came up for me? And I'll just spurt it out and then you can just take it from there. I realized that for me, it's, it's about control. I hang around with women, not just because I feel safe with them, but I feel like I can control where I am in the status hierarchy. I Mm. feel like I can dominate. I feel like I have more power. I feel like I'm stronger. I feel like I'm an alpha. But if I'm around men, particularly certain types of men who are big and muscular, et cetera, et cetera, or or highly intellectual and big and muscular, then I shy away from them because it's a part of me that can't control where I am in the status hierarchy. So have you, have you met Albert in Elementum? Yeah. Albert Chavez. Albert. Oh, okay. So Albert's a I've big... seen him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's a big bulky bloke, right? So I've reached out to Albert and said, Albert, I really want you to work with me. And one of the reasons is you're a fucking big bulky bloke. And there's a part of me that's afraid of you, me not being able to dominate you, right? That's like that boy energy, right? And that's what come up with me with this, with this book. It's like, holy shit, Lee. Like you really are subconsciously there's this some part of you figuring out what groups you need to be in and how you are going to be perceived in that group is really important. Like there's a part of me that will not allow me to be on the bottom rung of the ladder of any group. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah, you want my thoughts on it. I, I feel like 
to a certain degree, it's healthy to strive to have balance. I know there's this idea that gets thrown around in personal development of it's it's good to have people that are above you to learn from, people that are next to you to connect with and people that are below you so that you can teach. And like I know that would all have different effects on our confidence if we're only spending time with people that are way further ahead, even though there's some quotes it's like, if you're the dumbest person in the room, that's that's a positive. But if you're in the dumbest person in the room in every room always, you'd probably feel shit about yourself. And if you were the best person in the room, like the smartest person or the most skilled, then you're not growing. So I think it's just a a balancing and it makes sense to strive to not want to be at the bottom rung rung of the hierarchy all the time because you're the weakest link and you're the first to go. So you've got the greatest chance of being exiled from a tribal psychology perspective, even though it's not relevant in the modern world. It might become relevant if COVID and the way the world's going turns to a zombie apocalypse then maybe the strategy can change. If you want to be a better man, but alcohol is getting in your freaking way, then let us help you. The Strive Method, a monthly subscription service, provides you with over 120 coaching videos. It provides you with online meetings. It provides you with coaching with yours truly once a month. And it provides you with access to our beautiful Strive family so you can speak to like-minded people, including our Wildman group, which is a men-only group where men can talk about men's stuff, without fear of having to reveal the shame, worry, vulnerability in front of other women, okay? Must say, though, we're going to do that for a short period of time until we build up those results to be able to do that. If you're interested in those things, get over to www.1000daysober.com. Sign up today. Now back to Ryan Magic. I think, I mean, for me, as I'm hearing you talk there, it's less about intellect and more about strength. I would say it's like 100% strength. That physical you are strength. intimidated by yes so yeah and i think i know where it comes from so when i was when i was young people used to call call me a chink and all that kind of stuff is that a but derogatory term for asians from where you're yeah, from yeah, yeah yeah so because i was half chinese the only half chinese people call me a chink my nickname was ching and i liked my nickname but i didn't like it when someone called me a chink because there was an energy behind it that was like i'm going to dominate i'm dominating you by belittling you and asserting control over you right but I wouldn't call it bullying because bullying, bullying, it is a form of bullying, but my, my archetype of bullying is someone's getting battered and picked on every sure. day and they're weak and they can't deal with it, right? With me, my dad made me fight them. So even though someone would come up to me and call me a chink, I, I knew once that happened, I knew I would have to fight them, right? So I was getting into fights all the time. And I had a fight with the artist kid in the school. And I had a fight with him in a club and I was drunk. So that gave me false sense of like power. I gave as good as I got. But then there was a part of me that knew when I was in school, he was going to batter the living daylights out of me. And none of my friends would step up and help me out because he was massive. And he came on to me and he said, me and you up at top of the school, like way, way, way away from where the teachers could find us now. And uh, I was terrified, but there was a, a part of me this boy hero part. I remember it. He said to me, but if you take him, everyone will think you're amazing. And I said, fuck it, let's go. And he battered me. And as he's battering me, not one of my friends stepped up. Mm. Fast forward three or four years, I'm living in Newport on my own. 
And just by hook or by crook, I ended up in a group of men. So I'm a boy, but I'm in a group of men. And they were all hard bastards, people who've done time for GBA, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember somebody calling me a chink in a club. And I looked behind me at these hard bastards. And I said, say that again, mate. And I, and it was almost like I feel I got the fuel from this solidity and this security, right? Like I'm not advocating violence. I'm just explaining my my story. But in that moment, there was like, holy shit, there's power in knowing that I'm safe here. Now I didn't use that that power in a very healthy way, but very different than younger energy. And somewhere in those two stories, I ended up being 44, 45, 46, being afraid to be not trusting men. Like it's, it's, it's not just when I go to a dentist and it's a male dentist, I don't trust that he's going to give me the right price, but I'll trust the woman is. So, so, so this is a lot, there's a lot there that plays out. I don't yeah. know if anything's you. Sounds, sounds like it's the control thing because it's, it's more like you can trust yourself potentially based on what you've told me. That if it's a female, you've got a stronger chance of being able to negotiate the way that you want because you mm. feel more confident with a woman. But if it's a guy that's intimidating, then maybe you can't control your own capacity mm. to negotiate because you feel more intimidated. Yeah. And that makes sense. That mm. makes perfect sense. And my dad, my dad never laid a finger on me, <laughs> but I, I was always terrified of him. Mm. Never had that love, never had that support. Do you know what I mean? Like. Sounds like he was strict, stern, autocratic. Yeah, yeah. Didn't didn't wasn't loved by his dad. That type of stuff, you know. And that came across. Have you have you ever read the book um, King Warrior Magician Lover? My favorite book. So I've read it many many times. <laughs> <laughs> the moment when I learned about the hero energy being the last of the immature immature masculine energies to die before you become a warrior or a man. That really yeah. hit me big time. Like I, I realized that I was in a relationship with my wife and that I was a boy and I was reacting like a boy. I was reacting sexually like a boy, intellectually, physically, mentally, spiritually, cycle, everything. I was a fucking boy. And that was a massive wake up call for me. And, and being able to take more responsibility and then start that journey on, well, actually, what does it mean to be a man, that journey that I'm on today? Could you talk into that a little bit around that hero kind of boy energy and, and anything else that came out of that book that the audience may um, get some benefit yeah. out of? Yeah, I really love, love that book because I hadn't heard any description of what it meant to be a man before that. And I found it very intriguing and exciting the way that it was delivered as well. It's like essentially going through these four masculine archetypes, King, Warrior, Magician, and Lover, and talking about what, what they look like, but also like archetypal, ancient, theological, historical, and religious references to examples of what it looks like in history, through history, to mm. live out these different archetypes, and then creating a reflection of how we can see those archetypes in ourselves. And the, the, the warriors, they talk about there's like four boy versions of the man archetype. So the king's got the divine child. The uh, lover's got the eatable child. But the, the warrior's got the hero that you spoke to. And it's said to be like a necessary stage of development for a boy to transition to a man. And its function is to create this inflated sense of confidence 
in the boy, it develops between like 16, 18 years to create this inflated sense of confidence, unrealistic confidence <laughs> and grandiosity to have the boy believe that he can do it on his own. So he mm. breaks free of the nest and then goes out there, gets battered by the world, gets humbled. That humbling like is the start of the transition from boy to man, mm. but just that inflated confidence being necessary to create the separation from the boy and the mum. Mm. And I thought it was like really interesting. It gave me permission to understand and to not judge that part of myself because I read this book when I was probably 24 or 25. So for maybe even, maybe let's say 25. And I was massively in that archetype. I was trying to mm. prove myself so hard to the world. And that's one of the main qualities is like proving the hero just wants to prove himself to the world. And I was just proving, trying to prove myself so fucking hard. And I still do in small elements but it was like my main identity and I had no awareness of it until I read that book. Mm. So I gave myself uh, compassion because I understood that it was actually a stage of development with me as a man and becoming a man. Mm. And that's, that's the main thing that it, it gave to me that understanding. But mm. the, the way that I see the benefit of this book, I see two benefits. It's like essentially with each of these four archetypes, they're represented each one of the four archetypes has its own pyramid. And at the top of the pyramid or the top of the, the triangle is like the archetype in its fullness. So let's just say the king is at the top of the triangle. And then at the bottom corner, left and bottom right corner of the pyramid are the shadow, the bipolar shadow qualities of that same archetype. So the king in, it, in his fullness, he's someone that is generative, someone that's a leader, someone that has grounded confidence, is kind of magnetic with his presence and he uplifts and empowers other people. And also when he's around, there's a lot of order that gets created from, from his presence. And mm -hmm. so I see that as like, <laughs> I like to call it the Dalai Lama effect as well. The Dalai Lama could walk into a biker's tavern and everyone would pay him respect. He would not just like go down and start drinking alcohol and get on their level he, in, from a consciousness perspective, mm -hmm. they would respect him his holiness and like really pay him respect and they would start to act more empowered around him. And I see that as like a function of the King as well. So that's the, that's the top of the triangle for the King archetype. The bottom, the bipolar shadows is the, the weakling and the tyrant. And so there's like a passive bipolar shadow and there's an active bipolar shadow. So the active one is the tyrant. When someone's trying to trying to force or be that archetype, I want to be in power. I want to be the king. And so I become the tyrant. I'm trying to take from it for my own benefit. And in that pursuit of trying to take from it, because I don't actually have the groundedness and the embodiment of that archetype, they fail. And then they swing to the, the passive side of that bipolar shadow quality of that archetype, which is the weakling. They feel like, I'm so shit. I suck. I'm worse than everyone. Now I've got to prove myself and gain control and be in power and force the power upon people for my own benefit. And then they try to do that. And then they realize they're failing and swing to the other side. And each of the four archetypes has that. But the thing that I find valuable to distinguish is the difference between the, the, the bipolar shadows of the quality of the archetype and the archetype in its fullness is the, the person's connection to their heart. Mm. So if someone's like really full and loving themselves and connected to their heart, then they are more likely to exhibit the, that archetype from a place of like fullness and wanting to give. So the king will be coming from a place more and want the generativity to be uh, helpful and, and supportive to others because he's full, loving himself, he's connected to his heart versus the person that's like coming more from lack as opposed to love 
and then he's swinging from the tyrant to the weakling, tyrant, weakling. And mm. so like the, that, that piece around what creates like the, the real, like more boyish shadow qualities of each of the archetypes versus the man qualities is really the connection to the heart. And then the second mm. way that I find it valuable, the valuable piece from this book is to learn what all, all each of the four archetypes mean. And then just audit yourself for where you're strong and where you're weak. And then just create opportunity, like find ways to improve those aspects. So like the lover archetype is all about how connected someone is to the world and other people and their ability to have fun and their ability to be in the present moment and all these kind of more enjoyment-based qualities and and depth of connection-based qualities. Kind of feminine in essence, the most feminine quality from my perspective and someone might be like, well, I'm quite strong in a warrior, the part of me that's like courageous and hardworking and disciplined, but I'm quite weak when it comes to the lover. So I'm going to shift my attention and go, how can I incorporate more connection? Should I meditate? Could I start doing a hobby? Like I haven't been doing anything for myself fun for ages. So I'm going to just like bring in some fun or am I going to dance once a day? Like what am I going to do? And then a, a man gets the opportunity to find out which aspects of him he can lean into to become more of a full, complete, integrated man. Mm. And so, yeah, that's my like interpretation of the book. Oh, it's great stuff. You mean, if you're listening to this men or women of men, you know, re- rewind that and listen to that several times because that was beautiful. Two things that, that leaped out there for me. Uh, one was frameworks. So like sometimes people they get a little bit lost, you know, like, especially like in the community where people are trying to stop drinking, it's just too much to think about meaning and purpose and what I'm supposed to do, what I'm going to focus on next. And in my experience, having frameworks like that, you know, those archetypes where you can, you can read it is almost like a description of what it means to be the king or a description of what it means to be the tyrant or the weak prince. Right. And then, like you said, you can audit yourself. Like, and then you can you could be like, oh, okay, so this is an area that I excel in. So maybe I can teach this. This is an area where I really struggle in. This is my work. So when it comes to like, mm. what's my meaning and purpose, or how do I fill my white space now I no longer drink? This is a good example of a framework for a man of like, okay, this is what I can. It's almost like that wheel of life thing, right? Money, sex, etc. But this for a man is like good. <laughs> You know? I love how your interpretation of the wheel of life is like the first two ones that come up. What about money, and, money sex. and sex? Yeah, yeah. That, well, that that probably speaks from like you know that um, that hero boy energy you know that I'm constantly working with. And here's the other thing that I wanted to talk about that that came up for me is you use the word compassion, right? It's like being able in the midst of my fights with Liza at some point to turn around and say, do you know what? I am imperfect. I am a fuck up. I am sometimes a terrible father. Sometimes I'm the worst husband on this fucking planet. And that's okay because I know in my heart of hearts, I'm trying my fucking best to be better and better. Whilst at the same time, and this is a piece I think that I had missing for many years, have the compassion that actually the process that you're going through and where you are right now is just, that is it. That's the way that is the process. And that is where you're supposed to be right now. Um, mm. And so that, that is like really important to me. You know, it's like, you know, I just did a solo episode on narcissism 
before this airs. So people would would know what I'm talking about if they're watching the episodes in chronological order. And I was and I was really um critical of the self-help world that are working in the niche of helping victims of narcissism and that the way that they're helping is to picture the narcissist as this villain, like this super James Bond villain who is super calculated and super knows what they're doing and is Mm. evil and they're driving so much damage and harm. And it's mainly men and women, right? This is what I see. And I was like, hang on a minute. That's not my experience. Hello, I'm a narcissist over here. I see all the traits. It's been there. I behaved in all those ways. But I can tell you with with surety that I didn't know that it was happening. Hmm. I'll give you an an example, Ryan. Last night, I talked with my wife about something that I was going to remain confidential. It was something between me and her, and I haven't asked her permission to share it. And I needed to get a point something. Right? I needed to get something across to her. And I use nonviolent communication to express where I observed something that she, a behavior that she did that made me feel a certain way that meant that my need wasn't met. And then I made a request. And then I tried to shame her. Right. So I did the nonviolent thing and then I tried to shame her. And then this morning, Liza mentioned something to me. You tried to shame her after her response? No. No. I tried to shame her after asking for the request. I then went on and then I tried to shame her. And then this morning she said something that triggered me and I responded in a way that again tried to shame her. It's a common feature. Now, here's the important thing. Just before this call, I'm getting getting in the zone. I was doing my morning pages and I was reflecting on both of those incidents. And I recognized doing the morning pages that I was trying to shame her. That was the goal of a part of me that I was not aware of that was consciously doing it at that time, which now enables me to say, Liza, I want to talk to you about the way that I behaved last night and the way that I behaved this morning. I was out of order. When I said this, there was a part of me trying to shame you, and that is out of order. And then look into deeper, why? where is that part of me that was trying to shame her, right? That doesn't seem to me like the behaviors of a man who has got some goal to destroy a woman. It's for me, do you know when we talked about the status hierarchy feeling almost innate and anthropological and biological, this behavior of trying to shame someone and there's lots of other behaviors that I have, it feels normal. It feels part of my biology. It feels like it just fucking happens. I'm not excusing it, but I need to be compassionate with it and address it and deal with it. But it doesn't make me a fucking supervillain, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. As you could tell, I'm passionate about this. Yeah. It's amazing, man. I I really love your your vulnerability and awareness. And I I learned this piece recently that resonates with with what you're saying, which relates to what you're saying, which is that the the repair is greater than the rupture. Yes. Rupture repair. Yeah. We teach it in the stride method. Yeah. There you go. And I really like how it gives permission for resistance, conflict, and mistakes, and that the power is in the repair. And how mm. what you just said is essentially you saying, hey, I'm imperfect like every other human, and I'm giving myself compassion for it, but I'm still going to take responsibility for it. 
And that's what I like about nonviolent communication because the whole premise behind nonviolent communication is full ownership of our own experience without projecting blame onto the other person, mm. but still having the, the strength of self to then make a request for what we need. Yeah. So I feel like so much of the personal development world, and I was actually going to say this before, it's tying it perfectly. But so much of the personal development world is about trying to change who we are. And I really love this idea of self-acceptance and realizing that confidence is how we respond. From my perspective, confidence, the way you described your imperfection before, I feel like that's confident because everyone has imperfection. Mm. And so I really see like amongst men and I can witness it with my friends. I witness it with Preston. I witness it with Stefanos. I witness it with my best friend and, and, and Garen that everyone here has like an equal amount of like benefits and drawbacks and things that they're thriving with and struggling with. It's just what I notice is that the way that someone functions with those imperfections is based upon the compassion that they give to themselves, the credit they give them to themselves mm. and, and the permission they give them to themselves to be imperfect. Like I know Preston, for example, he's like in his personality, he's got lots of like, uh, his, his whole personality is like really vivacious and intense and sometimes a bit of like an aggressive edge, which is like the, I'm going to stand up for myself from his childhood. And that's like a big mm. stand. It's not like full open hearted love all the time. There's like this like mm. fierce fighter part of him um, that I witness. And he does, he gives himself full permission to be that. And yeah. like everywhere, I, whereas in the past I've witnessed myself, I've had these pleaser tendencies and I've just shamed myself so hard for these pleaser tendencies yeah. in the past. They're both survival mechanisms, the either rebel kind of more fierce, aggressive personality, or that I'm going to be the nice guy and be pleased and Preston's feeling unsafe. I'm feeling unsafe. Whereas like in the past, I would really judge myself so much for having this imperfection. And then because I was judging myself and I was in shame, I wasn't moving forward and functioning in the world the way that I wanted to. And I'd witness Preston with the same level of, feeling unsafe with his own strategy, but not, not shaming himself and having mm. compassion for himself and just doing what he wanted to do, given the imperfection. Yeah. And I feel like that's what creates confidence with, uh, with, I'm just going to say with men for the sake of this conversation is like accepting the imperfections, having compassion for ourselves and just saying, fuck it. I'm imperfect and I deserve my desires in the world yeah. and I'm going to yeah. go get them anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. You know, it's like, have you ever read the book, uh, Why, um, How to Fix Your Marriage Without Talking About It? No, but it's, it's on the list. <laughs> I feel <laughs> like we got loaded with like 100 books an hour. <laughs> which is I know. Awesome. <laughs> what, what, I, what I loved about that book, it was, um, it was a great reminder that not only do women need to learn what it means to be a woman, and men need to learn what it means to be a man, but if you're going to get into heterosexual relationships, Men need to know what it means to be a woman and women need to know what it means to be a man. Mm. Now, we've just spoke for the last hour and some of the things we talked about is this invisible uh, hierarchy that exists within us, the need to um, be an alpha male or to be recognized and to be seen as useful in you know, that type mm. of stuff, right? And if that is true, and my gut feel is that it is, yours is just the same thing and a lot of people are writing about it, then if we paint a picture of narcissism or whatever otherism as being a shameful, most horrific thing ever, then why on earth would a man talk about it? Because if a man talks about it, he's going to, he's, he's, 
viewpoint could be, I'm going to remain permanently at the bottom rung of the ladder. Now, for me and for you, we can now sense because we are more grounded and we're learning more about ourselves that actually to talk about it elevates you up the rung of the ladder, particularly in your own mind, in your own standing of where you are in the status. So if it becomes inside out game, it's like, okay, what behaviors and values do I have to extol to get up my hierarchy of values and status, not somebody else's? Then talking about things like narcissism is important, but the vast majority of men out there would be like, fuck, I feels like me. I can't talk about that. That's yeah. narcissism is there with rapists, pedophiles, and fucking alcoholics. I can't, I can't go there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so it's so subjective. And the same thing with crying. Like for me, crying now is like a booster of my status. The fact mm-hmm. that I'm in, in touch with my emotions through my lens of the world is something that I'm really proud of. And it's something that I feel boosts my status. I'm like, wow, I really struggled to connect with my emotions. Mm-hmm. Now I have access to them and I've got the courage because I know how scary it is every time I feel this, what I perceive to be vulnerable emotion and I let it out and I really champion myself with it. And I'm like, this is boosting my status. And I went out for dinner with a couple of friends and one of my friends had an emotional release at a burger, fast food burger place we're at. And I was just like, this guy's the fucking champ. Like he's a legend. <laughs> like I'm so grateful. And I was just proud that my friend was able to express his emotion yes, vulnerably yeah. at that table. Whereas in another context, that would have been completely like shamed and looked down upon. Mm. So I feel like it's so subjective and yeah. yeah. But I feel like just just celebrating and being in our own corner for as much as possible is like such a massive ticket to success mm-hmm. in life and also love for other people in the world. Because like if we're really championing ourselves, if I'm really like in my own corner massively and I'm feeling fuller and I can honor other people without it diminishing my own status. So I think it's a fucking awesome, awesome permission piece to give ourselves to just be our own biggest fan and just celebrate the fuck out of ourselves. There's something about it that emanates trust and security, like the cornerstones of any relationship. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, Mm. wow, like I really trust this person. It's like if this person, I can just sense it in their energy that Mm. that I can trust them and I feel secure. Do you know what I mean? Like I can, I feel like I can cry. I feel like I can rage. I feel like I can get angry. And, and, you know, when you recognize that compassion within yourself, wow, 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 you can recognize it in other people and then you can behave differently and you can start to take 100% responsibility for everything that's going on because you're able to look at the other person and go, well, actually, you know, did Liza really mean to hurt me? No, not really. There was a part of her that was trying to protect her and keep her safe that came up that activated a part in me and that's beautiful. And I love that part of her because that's who she is. And I love her and I'm going to spend the rest of my life with her. So let's go fucking hold her and put that right. You know, it's like, mm. hmm. so on trust and security, ladies and gentlemen, we come to our time here. Um, this man, Ryan Magic, within myself, for all you men listening, um, women as well. But, um, you know, I'm calling to the men here specifically. Get in touch with Ryan. Do some work with him. Um, he's a great one-to-one coach. He is, he's living it. He's doing it right. So, um, he's not, he's not teaching out a textbook. He's out in Austin in an empowered brotherhood and we need more people like Ryan. So how can they reach out to you, Ryan, and get working with you? Yeah, totally. So 
all I'd ask for people that are listening is just to shoot me a message on Instagram and, and let me know how the, like what resonated uh, with you from the interview. If anything like really stood out for you, I'd love, like really, really love to connect with you and to hear about it. And my handle is the Ryan magic. So if you just shoot me a message at the Ryan magic on Instagram and just say, Hey, like I would genuinely love to connect. I, I, I do a lot of podcasts and, it just, it really makes my day when I get to connect with, with people. And if there's anyone that feels a particular pull to, to do more with me, I can send you a bunch of stuff to consume of mine first, just to get mm. more of an understanding of, of how I coach. And like, I've got my own coaching modality that I use as well. And um, would be happy to send that to you for free awesome. and just get you to con- see whether you resonate. And yeah, this is my, this is my life. This is my mission. So anyone mm. that feels called to reach out about that but if even just dropping a little message to say hey would be so beautiful yeah it really is nice when you do something like this and it's like oh oh somebody listened to it and it touched their life like you know like people have given up thinking just listening to the podcast and i haven't even had to speak to them like it's it's beautiful medium (laughs) you know Um, yeah ryan always pleasure getting together much love uh you're living the dream out there man thanks brother do you know that's my only tattoo by the way Live in the dream. I got it on my foot. Oh, oh in the hot, in the most painful place ever. I heard that. It wasn't too bad. Um, I got my nipple pierced. That was much more painful. Ooh, ooh. Well, I'm just about to show Ryan my cock ring. So I'm going to say goodbye. Take care, everybody. I'm going to get I think, you should, I think you should keep that in the podcast. <laughs> get a bunch Take of new care. followers. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, folks, I hope you really enjoyed that conversation between me and Ryan. If you found it of value, please email me. Let me know what spoke to you, 1kdaysober at gmail.com. Please, please, please rate and review the episode on your favorite podcast player. If you want to work with Ryan Magic on a one-to-one uh, capacity or just want to reach out to him and say thank you for um, giving his time on the show then you'll find him on Instagram The Ryan Magic okay if you want to work with myself on these issues that we spoke about today or you want to join Strive and get through our 120 plus video workshop join our community online groups all that kind of malarkey then go to www.1000daysober.com and sign up today if you have any questions on anything whatsoever email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com or send me a whatsapp message at plus one two one three two one nine zero one two let me do that again plus one two one three two one nine zero one zero three much love until next week